The Athletic. The Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. How did Mercedes turn a car that started the season as a bouncing, porpoising nightmare into a Grand Prix winning car? And what does it mean for its chances of giving Red Bull a run for its money in 2023? Gary explains all. And he also meets Gunter Steiner to delve into the benefits of being a technically minded team principal and the potential pitfalls. Welcome to the Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. My name is Ed Straw, but you're not here to listen to me, as this show is all about Gary Anderson, founding technical director at Jordan, and who also held the role at Stewart and Jaguar. So welcome to another podcast, Gary. How did you enjoy following the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix weekend? I'm guessing it's one that brings back some good memories for you, given what happened uh, way back in uh, in 2003. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. It was. It was nice to see it, and it was also nice to see that, you know, at the end of qualifying when Ocon's car caught fire, uh, exactly the same as Fisichella's car catching fire at the end of the race. It was quite strange, but uh, ours was it was uh, oil, his was fuel, I think. So, but yeah, I mean, I love to see changing conditions like that. It's great. I love to see a small team get one over the big boys, uh, like Haas was. Kevin Magnussen just, you know, making the right decisions at the right time. For sure, they can go against you as well. But, um, you know, as you saw, whenever Kevin was leaving the pit lane with, uh, with slicks on the car for, the, for Q3, and um, Charles Leclerc was leaving with intermediates on his uh, on his car, on his Ferrari, that one of the two of them had definitely got it wrong. And, uh, you know, we saw fairly quickly who it was. So it's, it's all about taking those little risks, and I love to see that happening. Again, you know, the sprint race was great. Um, I think George Russell drove a fantastic sprint race and the fact that he was battling with, uh, with um, um, what do you call him, Verstappen, yeah. And the fact that he was battling with Verstappen for probably three laps, uh, clean, tidy, aggressive, but, you know, um, just kept on it, which is great to see because that's what you have to do, to be honest, to get, to get past a guy like Verstappen early in a race like that where you're, where you're trying hard to make your solution work better than his solution. So, um, yeah, good weekend. And the great thing is when you do get those underdog successes, there's always so much goodwill. I'm not sure whether it was in the coverage, but when Magnussen was walking up the pit lane to go to Park Firm, he uh, he was getting applause from loads of the team garages as they as they walked past, which was just great to see that. Uh, it's rare there's a universally popular result, which is just brilliant to see. And very well timed. We've got an interview with Haas team principal Gunter Steiner coming up on this podcast. That's in a bit. But first, we'll kick off by letting you have a free choice of topics Gary I think given Mercedes has been the big technical story of the season I can guess what you're going to be talking about because it has been a remarkable turnaround for that team hasn't it it has been a remarkable turnaround and I'm very pleased for all there to be honest to you that they've managed to succeed in doing it you know it's always difficult there's a new set of regulations for eight years nine years maybe you know Mercedes have been King Kong um they've always come back from any regulation change and and uh and reap the reward. So it's one of those sort of things where this year caught them out dramatically. And you, you have to bite the bullet for a certain amount of time. Because one of the things I always say is you can't fix a problem until you recognize the problem. And I think whenever we uh, we look at some of the interviews with the uh, with Mike Elliott, the, the, the uh, technical director of, of Mercedes, you know, he hints at the same thing. You, you know, you... you you have three things. One is recognize the problem. 
Uh, two is identify how to fix it. And three is make the bits. Now, working that backwards, they, they made the bits, I believe, uh, for Austin. The car went to Austin with a, with a new update kit, a new underfloor, um, really working the front corner of the floor a lot harder. Uh, making, getting more downforce out of that front corner without actually um, having to mechanically seal the sides of the floor to get the downforce out of the complete underfloor surface. So, you you know, by doing that, you're creating two diffusers in a way, one at the front corner and one at the back of the car. So you you get the same overall low pressure area underneath the car, but you're achieving it in a different way. So by doing what they did for their for the Austin update, they had that and they also had a new front wing, which they weren't able to run um, because they put some turning vanes on it that sort of questioned the uh, the, the amount of outwash they were going to generate. So they had to regroup there. Um, Every little bit, you know, is the direction that you're talking about. So creating that outwash on the front wing, again, the objective was to create more downforce out of that front corner, get more air to go around the outside of the front tyre than on the inside of the front tyre. And then the front corner of the floor, you can you can make that little side exit, that little side diffuser, and the outer turning then work harder. So they, they achieved that uh, at Austin. You know, to be honest, in Austin, they could have done the same as they did in Brazil in uh, in Mexico, they really screwed up, screwed up as far as tyre strategy was concerned. And, and to be honest, they threw that race away, probably. Um, but Red Bull were on top of Mexico as well. So, you know, they, they definitely had a pretty good car there. But then came, came, uh, came Brazil and they really put it all together. They had a good strategy. The car was quick. Uh, they, they've also been able to, by, by generating more downforce from the underfloor, uh, or generating more consistent downforce without the mechanical seal on the underfloor, it's allowed them to run a, a lesser aggressive rear wing. So the, the drag levels were down a little bit. So they had you know a, a reasonable straight line speed. I mean, Hamilton was very quick in the straight. He had less wing than, than Russell, I believe, only by a little bit. But uh, in general, they were okay as far as straight line speed was concerned in, in uh, Brazil as opposed to being at the back of the field. So they were not not as vulnerable, um, and I think that showed whenever uh, uh, Russell in the uh, sprint race was able to sort of get past Verstappen and tow past him. So at the end of the day, uh, I think they worked very hard, but it took them to to Austin to get those bits in the car, and that that was what Mike Elliott said. You know, it's about making getting the tools to recognise the problem because the tools they had didn't, and there's no point in just doing do, keep doing the same thing. You have to look differently at stuff. Anytime I've had a problem, it's not because we we consciously did something wrong. It's because we 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 didn't understand something. And there's no point in just fixing it by by botching someone or, you know, by looking in on it. You need to sort of analyze it and find the, the solution to it, or find the tools to identify that problem, and then find the solution to that problem, and then make the bets. And that took to Austin, and I think. You know they have a they have a good car now. It's a, it is a good car. Although I must admit, I did see. I think it was uh, George Russell one lap. It showed you a very good picture coming onto the pit straight or coming down halfway down the pit straight. Quite a lot of bouncing still going on there. So I think there's a chance there. There is still a knife edge there somewhere. So need to uh, need to be very careful because it's very easy to tip over overboard. Yeah, well, of course, there's a lot of teams who've said it's quite easy to promote that uh, that bouncing, but there's the AOM metric that obviously everybody has to sit within, so that's something they have to uh, watch out for. But 
obviously there's been so much talk about the car concept, etc. what Mercedes got wrong. Does what they've done this year and turning it into a race winner prove that the car concept fundamentally wasn't a, a complete dud, that it was just about getting it refined and working and that this can be carried into next year? Or has it required a quite fundamental shift in terms of how they run the car and work it and big changes? I think we probably use the word concept a little bit too much. You know, all we can really, really identify is the visual concept. And obviously their car is different. And, the, you know, the zero side pod, as we called it. But again, I think that's one of those sort of situations where that, that visual concept can be quite different. I mean, we've got the, the Ferrari with a, a very bulbous side pod solution. We've got the, the Red Bull with a a neat and tidy side pod solution and then we've got the, the Mercedes with a zero side pod solution but that's not really the concept it's how the airflow the, the airflow structure around the car is, is being set up my my concept change with the uh, Mercedes would be to look at the radiator inlet duct and the fact that it, the bottom of that duct is the leading edge of the floor and as I've said many many times when you get low pressure underneath the car you will and the radiator blocks up with uh, because of speed. Um, you will get more a change of flow on the underfloor. The other thing on the Mercedes, from the pictures I've seen underneath the car, the uh, the bulge, which well, bulge as you call it, the, the shape of the monocoque uh, uh, underneath the driver, and it seems to be wider than the others. They seem to have more belly as, as such in it. Um, so that in itself compromises the geometry of the turning vanes that turn the airflow out the, the side of the car to help this front corner of the floor work well. You need to be able to turn the airflow out of there fairly aggressively. And because of their width of their chassis at the bottom, they seem to have, uh, have to turn it out very, quite gently. So it's very difficult for them to get that, that aggressiveness on those turning vanes underneath the floor to make that front corner of the floor work as hard as it should do. So those are the two areas that I would uh, be very keen on addressing if I was Mercedes to try and look and think about that again uh, and exploit it a little bit further because obviously they, they've been able to exploit it quite well as far as getting the car to a point where in Brazil it was you know they were they were definitely the dominant team. Yes, Red Bull didn't have a good weekend and Ferrari were probably just about where they normally are. So Red Bull fell fell apart a little bit. And Mercedes did a very good job. But I do expect them, you know, as I say, in Mexico, I think they were also very quick. Wrong tyre strategy. In Austin, they were quick. They just, just never got it all together. So I think they have, you know, got themselves to a point where they understand what what needs to be done. Now, there's certain things you can do to this year's car and there's certain things you can't. But I would be weary of them for next year because I think they've learned a huge amount this year. And I think that uh, they, they can carry that into next year. So I think we'll be looking at uh, Mercedes being back there and a, and a you know, level of competition that will uh, definitely uh, match up to, to fight with Red Bull and Ferrari. Um, I think Red Bull are, you know, again, they're, st- they're still going to be there. Um, yeah, Red Bull are still going to be there next year. I don't see why they should drop away, but Ferrari have probably got the most work to do to make sure they, they catch up with, with what's going on. Uh, because, they, you know, they, again, they haven't really developed, to be honest, if anything. Ferrari have lost out as the season went past. So they haven't really developed, whereas Mercedes have developed. As I say, you always learn more in a, a bad year than you do in a good year. 
What does it say about this tee in terms of the fact they have been able to turn it around? What kind of technical depth and resources and work does it need to do this? It's it's difficult, obviously, to grasp just how big a shift it's needed to get this working because it's fair to say not just any team can take a car that's not working to the extent that the Mercedes was and make something of a silk purse out of it. Well, I, I think it is, it is about management, to be honest. Um, everybody they have there has been there for a long time, so they have a, a good working relationship uh, attitude to to how they schedule their, their programme. Um and, you know, a blame culture is not the right thing to have when it comes to this sort of thing. Nobody there consciously made a bad decision. You know, there is a, a comment around that, you know, they made a, a, a bad decision one day. It could very simply be the radiator inlet duct, you know, and how they did the uh, the, the side impact tubes and the, the geometry they needed around there. There is there is something went wrong, to be honest, in the beginning. But it wasn't something that made it was a bad decision. It was something that they didn't, you know, didn't analyze cor- correctly. Um, so you can you only do so much. I've, again, one of the things I've always said: no team knows a hundred percent of what makes a racing car work. Otherwise, they'd just be blitz everybody every weekend, and that's not the way it works. Um, so the, the the winning team, you know, on that given day knows more than the rest, and that's about how you get the tires work, and that's about how the suspension geometry works the tire. It's about the aerodynamic platform. It's the, the downforce levels, all that stuff. But that other, you know, if the best team knows 80%, then there's a risk on that other 20% that's left and you can screw up on that. And that's really what Mercedes did. You know, they, they had an error on the on the part they don't know about and it took a long time to, to fix it. But on the way there, if you have a blame culture and you fire people right, left and centre because, you know, it's not working for you, then you never fix it because the people you bring in will just have different ideas. They won't necessarily be better ideas, they'll just have different ideas. So sometimes you need to just bite the bullet and work your way through it. And, uh, you know, if I go back a long time to, to Jordan in 1998, you know, we had a decent little car in 97, not a, not a race-winning car, but a decent car. Um, and we built a better car for, for, uh, for 1998. As far as all the stuff we researched, we had a you know, stiffer, lighter, um, better aerodynamic car, but it didn't work. And the drivers didn't like it. It had a characteristic that the drivers didn't like. Um, you know, we still could get a quick lap out of it, but it'd be a one-off lap. And, you know, whenever it went into longer runs, it just ate the tyres up. All that sort of stuff just went on. It was just horrible. So, again, if you've done it better, you just have to research something that you hadn't done before. And we started to do that. And I thought I identified the problem and we got the parts and whatever made and they went on for the British Grand Prix. You know, we scored our first point or whatever it was there um but then the car was after that the car was a competitive package and you know Damon Hill won with Ralph second in uh, in Spa but on the way there that's what I'm saying about you know the blame culture um it wasn't Eddie it was others you know I took the blame on my shoulders because that's what I do anyway it's my fault if something happens technically it was, it's my fault if something happened technically back then I took the blame on my shoulders and I decided to leave before Spa because I didn't feel the management of the team was behind me. Um, so it was time for me to move on. But, you know, whenever you look at Mercedes, that, that doesn't seem to have happened. I think Toto was able to pull it together enough to keep that group of people together, knowing that you have a good, solid group of people. And when it comes, when you click onto what's wrong, it will get fixed and it will get fixed positively. And, uh, you know, you'll get, you'll get the results. 
And coming back to the process they've been through, there's always a lot of talk about what their tools were saying the car should be doing, and ultimately it's all the various simulation and design tools that led them down a path that didn't quite work as expected. So there was this big push to try and understand the the kind of offset between the theory and the the reality, because obviously that offset and understanding it is it the key of key is the key to trying to understand it. So how does a team go about that process of of trying to get to the bottom of things and, and get to a point where they can get the the car in reality to match what they're expecting and kind of close that gap. Well, that, that's more about time uh, to, to manufacture parts as well. And obviously the budget cap, because you can't willy-nilly go this year and throw stuff at the car. You know, you have to justify your, your expenditure. So, as I say, from, from my point of view, the most important thing that, that Mike Elliott said was the fact of to realise that the tools you were using to identify it weren't adequate. And, you know, he, he said some other stuff there about damping, the, the aerodynamic damping that you get uh, from last year's cars with a flat floor with a small diffuser relative to, to this year's cars. Um, you know, if, if you sort of imagine that area and, you know, you have to damp out, you have to con- control these cars dramatically because obviously there is this porpoising. Uh, whereas last year we didn't have the porpoising. And the reason he's talking about the damping there is because if you imagine the, the, the underfloor of the car on the road, a bit like a big pair of bellows, you know, when you've got a big flat floor, you've got the car moving, but as it comes down, you'll have a high pressure area under, between that floor and the ground. Yes, you'll lose downforce, but because there wasn't that much downforce from the underfloor last year, you lose less downforce, but it does control the car. It does it does damp the car down from from coming back down towards the ground as it does when it's when it's rising up because the, the car pulling this sheet of big flat floor area away from the ground if you ever try to do it with a piece of cardboard or something on the ground try lifting it up and you'll see how it creates a vacuum underneath it so that is damping car, car movement is actually damping the aerodynamic uh, characteristics of the car whereas this year with the ground effect car the floors are higher that doesn't have that surface area and the future's or the underfloor is generating a lot more downforce. So, again, you know, the car will move, but it doesn't have that pressure change the same to the same degree as it did with the flat floor. So, with these aerodynamic regulations, you have no aero damping as such. So, um, I can understand his, his reason for that. Now, you need to sort of work out how that pressure is changing in the underfloor for the car, for the frequency of the car moving. And that's the difference in porpoising and bouncing the frequency of the car from porpoising is very slow. The frequency from the car bouncing is very high. So you need to, you know, be able to separate those two and try to make sure that you're not trying to fix the wrong one with the with the wrong pieces on the car. So it's about the tools. You know, I think now, as I say, they have got themselves to a point where they understand the car. The tools they've got are giving them direction. That direction has turned into lap time, as we saw in, in uh, Brazil. And... Uh, I think this can go into the, to the winter feeling that the decisions they're making, they're making them because they have the tools to analyze them and can, you know, genuinely make good forward moving decisions. And does that amount of knowledge they've gained through this process offset the fact that they did lose what you might call some normal development progress? Because obviously Red Bull were able just to merrily keep improving their car. It was in the right direction from the start. Whereas Mercedes, of course, there were points where while they were trying to troubleshoot, their, their kind of aero progression flatlined because they 
you can't build on on shaky ground, can you? You've got to kind of stop everything, troubleshoot, and then you've got your new foundation. So does the fact they've probably done so much experimentation kind of make up for that lost time, or are you always going to suffer from that? No, I think I think the, the fact they've done so much er, experimentation has given them a, a focus. Yeah, when you start, it's a bit like a funnel, you know, you're starting with a lot of options. And as time goes by, you sort of, it focuses down into one area where you you can see you're getting benefit from it. You can see return from it. Um, and then you just keep on going in that direction. So I think their time spent experimenting is not lost by any means. It means they won't uh, be going in, in the wrong direction as quickly in the, in the near future. And I think, to be honest, you know, coming this time of the year with one more race to go this season, it's it's just about, it's well-timed um, because it's well-timed for the motivation of, of the team, Mercedes team, to go into the winter knowing that the decisions they're making are pretty pretty decent. Um, but it's also well-timed as far as, you know, not getting the car f- sort of up and running correctly by mid-season, which would have given the other ones a, a bit more of an alert to the fact that, hang on a minute or two, you know, we're, we, we are a little bit behind here. Um, it's difficult to say because, as I say, Red Bull, Red Bull had a bad weekend. Um, they've got internal politics to sort out, never mind the car now, so that's quite good because of what Max did with uh, Sergio, which I think was abysmal, really, um, both on the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, but I think for Mercedes, they've they've definitely got themselves motivated at the right point in time. I still don't think that they really know, um, or they have confidence 100%, that they know what the car will be like when they get to the next track. But I think that's because the season's been so up and down for them. It's not because of reality. It's because they thought before before Austin that they had confidence in the odd track here and there, and they didn't. So they're 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 you know just keeping their they're keeping the powder dry rather than saying, oh, we're going to go to Abu Dhabi and, you know, blitz them. They're going to Abu Dhabi saying, hmm, I don't know what will happen there. Um, and that's the right thing to do, to be honest. Right now for them, that's the right thing to say. Yeah, a wise approach for that team, but a huge boost for them to get not just that breakthrough win, but a 1-2. Well, our interview with Gunter Steiner, the Haas team principal, is coming up in a moment. But before we get into that, Gary, the dynamic between a technical director and a team principal, what is that like? Would you have enjoyed working with a team boss like Steiner, do you think, who does have an engineering background? Obviously, you had quite a broad range of uh, of team bosses to, to work with. I guess you had kind of Eddie Jordan at one end of the scale and then Jackie Stewart kind of a bit further along. So very different types of people you were working with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always difficult. I think, you know, if we look at relationships, I think we, we should look at Christian Horner and, and Adrian Newey, you know, there's a, a very solid relationship that brings success. Um, Christian probably delves a little bit more into the technical stuff than he than he needs to, but I think that's because Adrian doesn't really want to be bothered with all that sort of stuff. So you always need a spokesman, and Christian's only too happy to stand in front of the camera. Um, and again, take take Mercedes with with Total Wolf and. Mike Elliott now their technical director. Um, you know they've had a few changes in technical directors through the years at Mercedes, but the result end results have always you know gotten them to a point where they're they're a pretty competitive team. And I think I think those, that relationship between the two needs to be very strong. The big problem is that it's very very easy for somebody who doesn't know to have a lot of opinion 
based on hearsay, you know, around the back of around the back of the bus shelter type thing. You know, the guy that doesn't know will always talk to people around the back of the bus shelter uh, and feel that he has to pick up all the rumours within the undergrowth of your company. That's what you know is the biggest problem, um, and that's sad, really. You know that that was you'll always get people within your the team that will always know better of how to fix something. But when a push when push comes to shove and you have to put them, you know, you have to stand up and be counted. They're, they're the people that will disappear into the undergrowth and, and get out of the way pretty quickly. So I think you you have to have a good relationship. It doesn't matter if your team principal has an engineering background. If his job is team principal and someone else's job is technical director, then you have to let them get on with their job and uh, make sure that you, you back them up 100%. If it still doesn't work, if you're not getting the results, don't interfere, change. You, know, you, you may have to change it. You may have to get someone else. But don't interfere with it on the way because interference will just delay everything, to be honest. Everybody will come in with new ideas, all you know, singing and dancing, ready to go. But at the end of the day, just the stop watch never tells lies. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's more about the way you do things rather than that. But does it help if there's a certain level of knowledge? Not that they're getting involved in it, but at least they can understand the basics of, of kind of what you're talking about if you like and what they need to do to to facilitate the technical team being able to do its job um well one of the comments i say quite often after uh, ford um as it was called jaguar bought uh, stuart grand prix um you know i remember sitting in a meeting with i don't know 15 20 people and uh the the uh, head honcho from ford walked into the meeting and listened for a minute or two and his first comment was you know, the, the thing about this is, I said, you know, Ford owned the company now and, and you have to do it the Ford way. Well, we'll get somebody else that will do the Ford, do it the Ford way. And that's a great way of motivating a bunch of engineers. So that is completely against what you want, to be honest. You know, when it was Jackie, Jackie would come in, sit down, listen, um, put his put his spoke in because he never was frightened about putting his spoke in about what we were trying to, trying to achieve. And away, you know, but go away. And as long as you were confident in what you're trying to do and you're trying to fix the problem as opposed to just change, then he was 100% behind it. So uh, what I'm saying is it's, there's no problem if you've got somebody who actually really does have an engineering background and understands what you're trying to achieve out of stuff um, as opposed to somebody who just wants to meddle. Meddling never does any good, but positive engineering contribution from anybody is always a good thing it's you know you have to motivate people to get the best results out of it and that's what it's all about that you know that's what mercedes have done they've got real good motivation now from that one two in brazil uh, and the fact they were competitive and you know george russell did a fantastic drive in both races so it just was a good weekend for them so the motivation is very high and that's what you need to have is that motivation You're listening to The Race F1 Tech Show, brought to you by Aramco. Aramco continuously push the limits of engineering excellence. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance and accelerate human potential. Aramco, powered by HAL.
Well, as promised, let's move on to our interview with Gunter Steiner. It proved to be very well-timed as it happened early on Saturday morning in Sao Paulo, the morning after Kevin Magnussen took that amazing pole position. For those who don't know, Steiner's someone with a real engineering background. He studied engineering at university, although he didn't complete those studies, but he then went to work for a long time in rallying, initially with Master Team Europe. He also worked for a few Italian teams, Top Run and Jolly Club, then later got involved with Ford in the WRC. His involvement with F1 was with Jaguar, where he was recruited by Nicky Lauda to become MD in 2001. He subsequently had a spell away from that team, but came back when Red Bull took it over and played a key role in those really early days of formulating what has become an F1 powerhouse before heading to the US to head up Red Bull's NASCAR team as technical director from 2006 to 2008. He had a spell working not directly in motorsport with his own Fiberworks Composites company, but he was crucial in forming the Haas F1 team. In fact, the structure with the technical partnership with Ferrari was entirely his idea after it became clear the initial plan to run customer cars was not going to be permitted. So he's been team principal of Haas since it joined the grid in 2016 and has of course become something of a cult figure through his appearances in the Netflix Drive to Survive series. So here is Gary's conversation with Gunter Steiner. So Gunter, um, first of all congratulations on your uh, pool position in Brazil. I mean I always felt it was great as a small team to get one over the big boys. How do you feel about it? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, yeah, uh, it's for me. It's just more like for the team, you know. Uh, I know uh, we 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 push always these guys very hard, and uh, uh, my aim was always to uh, to make them believe on themselves, you know, because that is the the first thing to have success. You need to believe what we are doing, and uh, uh, results like this they help a lot, you know, because they see uh, uh, when there is an opportunity, we take it, you know, and then on the back account, you keep on working on f- f better cars for the future, you know, so, uh, but you always need to be uh, on your toes here in F1 because uh, uh, th- there is no bad team anymore these days and there's always uh, all very good people in the other team. So if you, uh, you know, if you, out uh, out qualify them like we did yesterday it's obviously there, there, there was an opportunity given but we took it I mean somebody else could have taken it uh, uh, as well uh, we took it uh, Kevin did a fantastic lap as well uh, very good lap I mean uh, just being a, a eight eight or 15 seconds behind uh, shouldn't ju- not justify to be two tenths or f- four tenths slower you know uh, we need to respect also what he did on the track you know it wasn't like eight tenths uh, or eight seconds after him it was uh, a downpour coming <laughs> Yeah, I agree 100% with you. So, you know, you're from an engineer, an engineering background, albeit more in rally cars than, than Formula One, and now team principal. How do, you, how do you sort of separate those two? How do you keep them apart? Because obviously you've got a big engineering interest. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand what they're doing, but uh, what I never do, uh, I, I don't micromanage, Gary. You know, uh, if, if, uh, I give people responsibility. I keep an eye on it. I keep interested. I give them my opinion. And uh, normally, as you say, I've got a technical background, so my opinion normally is based on some uh, knowledge, not not just uh, uh, you know reading somewhere something or somebody told me. And then we discuss it. And uh, uh, but in general, uh, like with the technical department in in Maranello, uh, I speak with uh, Simone Resta. Uh, at least two, three times a week, you know, uh, we are in contact. If you need something, I'm here, but I, I, I let them guys get on. And uh, as you well know, uh, if you are not in daily in the techni- technicalities these days, you cannot keep up with it because it's so uh, uh, detailed and uh, you need to know the whole picture. So uh, uh, I talk mainly about 
the big picture and I'm pretty happy uh, to do so. So I'm not getting involved because otherwise, uh, you know, you just confuse people. And on the race weekend with the race engineers, uh, Ayao is doing a good job. He does the, he does the same at the race uh, with the race team as Simone does with the technical team in Italy. He manages. I, I, I keep up with what they're doing, but I don't get involved in changing uh, anti-roll bars or, or, or springs, you know. Do you think that um, sort of engineering background gives you a, a better understanding of how, how tough Formula One really is? Uh, absolutely, Gary. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I see how tough it is and I respect what they are doing. Uh, uh, but, but also the guys respect me because they know when they talk with me, I understand what they're saying, you know. So uh, And knowing that I'm not just because somebody told me we should uh, be doing it a different way, I jump on that bandwagon and then tell them what to do. They know that, that I've got uh, a good understanding of it, uh, but, but don't interfere uh, too much. During my time, I worked with, with three, I suppose you could call it very different team principals. Um, Eddie Jordan, who was, you could say, the life and soul of the party. Um, and Jackie Stewart, who obviously was three times world champion, knew what, knew what it took to, to do the job and to also understand the engineering side and how hard it was to, to, to get it all together. And then uh, obviously Ford, more, more commonly known as Jaguar, took over, which you, you yourself had a little bit of a, an insight into it. And the problem with them was they, they, they came in knowing everything and actually they knew very little. So it was the, they were the most the toughest I had. So I, I always think um, it's better to have somebody who has a little bit of understanding rather than somebody who thinks they've got a lot of understanding and actually just stands in your way. I agree with that and I know what you're speaking about because I think I was there after you. So uh, I, I know what you had to deal with it or what we had to deal with it. It was always, oh, we need to do it like this. Yeah, but it doesn't work in Formula One. And uh, uh, if you know it doesn't work, it's difficult uh, to follow orders knowing that you're going to fail, you know. So uh, I, I know that one. As you say, it's, uh, uh, you know, and you have to deal with it, uh, how they come along. But uh, that's what I say. I, I, I try to be... or. Oh, I really try hard uh, to be always fair. I have an opinion, but uh, uh, if, I, if I'm explained, I'm fine with it. I never get up in the morning and say, oh, we need to do this, this, and this detail on the car. Uh, I think uh, if you give people the freedom then uh, to do what, what, what I employed them to do, if they're the wrong people, I need to change the people, but not telling them what to do. That's always my opinion. And does it, does it have an overall responsibility mean that you... Um you know, you need to justify the, 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 the people need to justify the development cost against the budget because obviously you're you're sitting in the middle there and you have to you have to have the money to do it. You can't do it if you haven't got the money, but you can't also uh, make something that you haven't developed. So where do you draw the line with budget and and developments? Yeah, uh, that is one of my jobs. And, and uh, uh, you know, again, uh, understanding what they are doing, uh, I think we always have good discussions of where we spend the money we have got and now where we spend the money you can spend because it has changed since you were there. The budget cap is now uh, uh, the limit. It's not like in the old days when the technical people said, if I would have more money, I would be world champion within six months. You know, you, you have heard that before. Uh, but but now uh, that doesn't work anymore because uh, the limit is the budget cap. And uh, this year we were pretty close. I didn't think we would get that this close to the budget cap. But next year we will be at the budget cap then. At some point, it's it's uh, it's just like it's a more constructive discussion with the technical people when you try to help them to spend the money where it is best for the team. You know, because sometimes uh, uh, just making a I take an example uh, a new front wing it gives you three more points of downforce. But there, there is other things where you ca where you could gain the, uh, the time, uh, maybe even outside of of uh, 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 parts on the car. Then you can discuss it and. 
people now get used to it. The technical people to this approach, and we always had this approach because we never were swimming in money. You know, we never had abundance of it. So uh, that that thing with us is pretty uh, pretty advanced, where where we can sit down and have a very constructive uh, constructive discussion. What what is best uh, to do? You know, uh, bang for the buck. You know, uh, and uh, but that that is my job. Yeah, Gary, uh, I'm getting involved in that one. We've uh, we've sort of seen a, an increase, I suppose you might call it, in team principles that are from a more engineering uh, background. We got uh, Josh Capito, at Williams, um, Andreas Sidlet, McLaren, Mike Crack, Aston Martin, you know, and and Mar- uh, Matteo Binotto at Ferrari more more prominently, I suppose you might say. Um, is that the trend you think is going for the future? Because the one thing I've always criticised is like uh, Matteo at Ferrari. How do you find the time to actually sort of um, oversee both? both sides of that 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 very difficult uh, decision making yeah uh, no uh, and as i said before i i don't try to spend more than a certain time uh, 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 with engineering I, I i try to spend the time to find the right people which engineer the car obviously matthias has got the other burden because he has got also uh, a pure manufacturing uh, facility going on you know which isn't easy to manage but uh, uh, he, he maybe does less in marketing and uh, sponsorship uh, and, and that maybe helps him that he can focus more on these other two tasks because they say Ferrari is a big company and they are doing engines as well, so it's not easy to manage. But I think in general, if the team principal knows about technicalities, it makes it easier. I mean, uh, I think you will remember uh, uh, when you were told to do something which didn't make sense and then you then you had to work for days to change the mind of something above you, you know. But if somebody's got an understanding, you can talk at, the, I wouldn't say at the same level because the technical guy is always more understanding than me, but he knows that I know and then already you come better prepared and and he knows that I will not, Simone, say something uh, completely out of whack, basically. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we still see that, um, you know, Red Bull, uh, then Mercedes and then Red Bull again now have won the last, I don't know how many world championships, 13, I think it is altogether. Um, and obviously they, they have got a very defined role of team principal, I suppose you might call it, and technical director. And taking Red Bull as an example, you know, Christian Horner and... Adrian Newey. Um, so, you know, the success still comes with that, um, you know, focus on, on the fact of having a, the best technical director possible in the pit lane. Um, do you think you, you would try to strengthen that area in your team to go that route to make, make yourself stronger? Um, yeah, I, I would say these are two examples. I mean, with Adrian, and, uh, he's very strong in it. And uh, I think at the time uh, when they had this, uh, I didn't know it was first in a row between the two of them. Uh, I think we have to see also the, the financials. They had the, they had the biggest they had the biggest bank account as well. You know that helped as well a lot. You know uh, you, you need to have a good technical director, but you, if he has got all the money in the world available, it makes the job much easier than uh, some of the teams which had budget restrictions. But as I said before, them restrictions are going going away, uh, away now. They are the same. No, they're not going away. They are the same for everybody or very similar for everybody, I would say, uh, uh, the, 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 the finance restrictions. So uh, I think we need to see where it goes. If some of these uh, other guys can match these big names uh, technically, uh, and the only time will tell. But uh, uh, I think it is possible uh, that, that some of the smaller teams, they have got enough talent, as I said before. Now it's the talent, not the wallet anymore, which counts, you know. And I think we, we always need to give time to people to show what they can do. You know, I, I mean, I wouldn't say, oh, uh, you cannot do uh, making a winning car. Obviously, making a winning car in F1 
you cannot do that within a year or two. You need to grow, but you need to better yourself and get stronger, you know. And we will see who comes out best. But uh, uh, I, I always think taking people are very important. I mean, they are as important as having uh, finding the funding, doing a good job at the racetrack. But the car, if you have a bad car, you will never win anything. You will never want win with sponsors. You will never win on the racetrack, you know. The base is the fast car at, uh, uh, at the race. Agree 100%. I mean, yesterday... Uh, well, in the, for qualifying, whenever you saw you you were heading out as soon as you could on slicks onto the track, obviously it was getting potentially going to get damper. And then we see Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, you know, the might of Ferrari heading out there in intermediates. Did you think, oh, one of the two of us got this wrong? Did you uh, were you surprised at that decision? Yeah, I actually was surprised because obviously with nine go out on slicks and, uh, and and one on intermediates, normally uh, uh, the the minority is wrong, you know. So uh, it was like, but uh, it, it it was a very close call because we were like, there, what what is it going to be? And then at some stage, a decision was taken: we go on slicks. There is no other other thing to do. It isn't raining. We have got. I think we went out about a minute and something uh, before the green uh, the green light uh, at the end of pit road. You know, it's just like. We can get a lap in because even if it starts to rain now, it, it slick will still be the best, uh, the best tire. And we saw it because we had two se- sessions where it stopped and started to rain. So you get a little bit of feeling. You know, some of the racetracks when it's and when it starts to rain, uh, they uh, they get wet very quick. You know, uh, there can rivers down, but uh, in Brazil it takes a little bit. And 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 also we saw it wasn't heavy rain coming. It was more like a, a heavy drizzle, but it was a drizzle still, you know, it wasn't heavy rain. So we took that decision. Obviously, when you see one car going out, it's like, okay, uh, what do you say? I hope he doesn't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I've said that a few times in my life. Um, so the, the thing about, you know, last year, obviously 2021, that was the last year of the um, of the old regulations coming into 2022. You, you verbally said you were going to spend... Uh, do nothing on development for 2021 but just concentrate on 2022 and you know um but do you think that helped you because obviously 2021 you actually did improve as the season went past do you do you think you understand the car better if you don't keep changing it every weekend because no team gets the best out of it and the more you change it the, the further away from the optimum you get yeah, I would say uh, uh, last year was a little bit strange. I mean, I, I think we understood the car better but also the drivers improved quite a bit I would say you know now looking back with hindsight I think we had got that one. We went into two rookies. They had, they, they, they had nothing to compare themselves, you know. And then they just got better o- 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 over the year. Uh, obviously, uh, you understand the car better. It's always longer you, uh, longer you use a car, better you come to good solutions for it. And then you have more time in the right setup for the drivers to go. It's a, pl- a plus, plus, plus coming. So, but in general, I think it was most of it was coming out of the drivers. Yeah, the um, first year of the budget cap, obviously 2022, or the first year that it's... Um implemented i suppose you might call it and red bull contravened it by x amount um do you think the budget cap's the right thing do you think budget cap uh, there's too many gray areas in it or do you think it's the right thing for formula one i think it's it's the right thing for formula one and uh, uh i just think we have to get all the loopholes out that we are not in these discussions that if they are breached uh, if it is breached we have got big discussions uh, what is a breach and what is not a breach and how much will be the penalty we need to get a little bit more black and white on the regulations you know uh, that's my opinion and one of the things we shouldn't present the, the the numbers at the end of the season it needs to be earlier than that because at the end of the season we are talking uh, of a lot of uh, water under the bridge already you know so uh, then you have to mitigate or 
this was last year. I mean, the championship finished eight months ago. What are you going to do now about that? Nothing, you know, because it's too late. So uh, it is not a real penalty. You could, if somebody uh, puts a lot of thought in, you could use it as strategically. I think you could have used it strategically the first year a lot better than will be in the future, in my opinion. And the penalties needs to be harsh because it is said, or oh, if you breach it uh, uh, 5%, it's a minor uh, breach. But it's not 5% of the total number because some of the 140 million, you cannot decide where you spend it. You need to spend it going racing. So the 5% have a lot of more uh, uh, influence on the development of the car than if you say, yeah, it's uh, uh, your, your, your 5%, which is about 7 million over. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of money we are talking about for development because there is in, in, in the budget cap, there is not like 50 million left of development. There is maybe $5 million of development. And if you can overspend by 2 or 3 million, that's a lot of money you almost double your development spend from other teams which stay within the budget cap. Yeah, it's a big percentage change. But uh, one of those things, I mean, obviously it's it's how you spend the money and spending it wisely. Um, do, do you see a better way than that? Do you see an allocation of the of the money to certain areas in the budget? Um, how do you, how would you make it, you know, so that the budget, the development basically, which is the thing that makes one car stand out from the other, how would you make it that that's more equal between the small teams and the big teams? Oh no, I, I think it can be it can be pretty uh, pretty equal because some of the costs are outside the budget cap, uh, uh, like like travel costs and stuff like this. So there maybe the big teams spend more because uh, uh, I don't know if there is more people flying in business class and private jets and stuff like this. But I, I think as long as we regulate it properly, I, I don't think there is a big difference, Gary, what you can spend. And then obviously you need to be uh, efficient with how you run your operation. Uh, you know that you're that you're spending it on. Uh, uh, on, on development or making the car go quicker, whatever it is. And that, what we said before, you need to sit down with the guys and see where do we spend the money to go quicker and not just trying to go quicker. We need to know that we go quicker because we don't have the uh, possibility anymore to try it. If it doesn't work, we go and do it again. No, we have run out of money. We are in, uh, at the budget cap. That's it, you know. So you need to be always careful about that. Would you um, would you think that it would be right for the drivers the drivers wage the drivers fees and the top three earners, which obviously you are one one of them, Gunther, um, to be included in the budget cap, or is it better to be separate? I would have no problem if we include it all, you know, because I, I think uh, uh, we need to do the best for the sport. It's not about uh, any individual. Uh, uh, obviously, with the drivers, it's always uh, the athletes that is always a difficult one to put uh, uh, a salary cap on it, you know, because obviously they don't agree. Uh, they don't agree because they are obviously the, 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 the biggest earner in any sport, I would say. So, uh, they're, 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 and you know, there were discussions about that, but it's difficult to... Uh, uh, to get traction on that one because there is people which have got contracts for uh, a, a number of years uh, uh, in the future so you would need to start in a few years and who wants to speak who wants to upset a driver about a regulation which comes in place in, in three or five years <laughs> so it's a difficult uh, uh, topic to discuss with these guys so going into 2023 um, where do you think you are with the, you know your 2022 car and how you're going to change for 2023 do you feel there's you know, a lot of space in there for, for movement forward, for uh, making the car faster? I, I would say so. And uh, uh, we are on target with the development we want to do. You know, I don't want to disclose uh, too much to you, Gary, because you, you really understand uh, what we are doing. So uh, I don't want to make that public. But no, we, we, are, we, are, we are pretty happy. We started, uh, I think, on the 23 car in June. 
uh, already, you know, almost full time, but uh, uh, it went to 100% in no time. Uh, once we signed off our upgrade, which came uh, uh, just before the summer break, we were already heavily into 23 cars. So I hope we make a step because also uh, what is maybe worthwhile to explain is like last year when we started again to the uh, when we started our technical department up again, which was almost shut down in 2020 when the pandemic came, we started it up in December. 2020, January 21, and Simone had to put a group of guys together again because we were only about 50 people left. And uh, it took a few months until to get the people and to get them to work together. I mean, you, you well know, it's not about just having the people, it's making them to work together that everybody knows what he's doing. So we lost a little bit of time there and we didn't have this... Uh, 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 This thing happened this year. We had a good group of people there which worked together for 12 months. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful uh, and confident that we will make a step forward. It's always the, uh, uh, the, 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 the obvious question, how good are the other teams? If we do a, a good job and the other do a super good job, we are still behind them, you know. But I don't know that at, at this moment in time. But uh, I think our guys are working hard. I think they make progress. Uh, we have got uh, uh, wind tunnel targets, wind tunnel development targets, uh, as you know, and uh, we are hitting them. So uh, I, I just can say I'm cautiously optimistic for next year. Whenever um, the regulations came out for 2022, we all sort of thought um, that they were fairly definitive and we would see quite a few cars that looked the same. But when the cars appeared for, for 2022, there, obviously there's quite a few different... I'm talking about concepts here. I'm talking about visual concepts, you know. Um, quite a few different uh, solutions to the same problem. Were you, were you guys surprised at that? Or were you sort of, did you see during your development that there was going to be different ways of achieving the same uh, end result? Uh, we saw, uh, because we did one development and so, some people went that way, but, but we then changed the uh, way uh, uh, maybe for, uh, two, three months into it. But I was as well very surprised of how different the cars look because visually they look really different. And in the end, they are going all, 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 almost the same speed. It's quite amazing, you know. Uh, uh, how can you do, do things different with, and ending up with the same result, you know. So I, I was amazed as, uh, as well. And I think the uh, part of the amazement came because everybody was making big publicity. All the car will look all like a foam. They will look all the same. It will be like watching Formula 2 where it's a single make car. The complete opposite happened, you know, which is, I think it's a, it's a good thing. It showed again that sometimes... Uh, 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 perception is not reality, you know, uh, as much as we want it to be. But uh, uh, we talked ourselves uh, into something negative, uh, and then in the end, it didn't end up like this. So uh, I was positively amazed when the cars came out, and, and they all look different. Yeah, it, it is amazing, really. So, do you think we'll see many changes for 2023, or is it sort of going to hone, hone in on one? And is that one going to be a, a, a zero side pod solution like Mercedes, or a a large side pod solution like uh, like the Ferrari or a uh, in-between like the Red Bull? It's, it's difficult to say. I think some people will change, uh, but uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, you always have to think, you know, uh, the devil you know, or you go complete uh, another route. I mean, I, I, I don't know that what other people are doing, you know. Uh, uh, maybe we get surprised again, Gary, but I, I wouldn't have to answer to that one, you know, because it's like, but what do you do if you're in the in the midfield and you see the, the top car, like the best car out there in the moment is the Red Bull, and you see it, so should I go that way and uh, lose everything I learned on the concept I did? Or should I keep on with my concept and develop that further? It's one of these things which then will tell uh, 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 how fast you go next year. But I don't think there is a, a yes, no, or, or one answer. There, there, there could be anything. 
I think we have to add in a little bit there. The, the Red Bull's the fastest car with Max Verstappen turning the steering wheel at this point in time. I think there's a, there's a fairly good, decent difference in there, isn't there, in the, in the driver and getting the car that he wants as well. Yeah, and uh, I think we could Max have in a lot of cars. He would be still fast. I mean, I'm thinking like you. He has got, uh, 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 he's a big talent. I know. I, I think uh, uh, Max on a, uh, on a bad day, it's still uh, the fastest driver out there. You know, so uh, it's 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 a good advantage to have for Red Bull. For 2023, uh, Gunter, what is your uh, what's Haas's objectives? Where do you where do you want to finish in the constructors? We want to get proper in the midfield again, Gary. You know, like we were in 2018. That is our aim, you know. And uh, uh, I always said to the guys, we have done it before. Uh, we can do it. We haven't gone stupid in three years. We had uh, circumstances around us we were not in control of, but we can get back to where we were in 2018. And that is the aim to go back there. You know, you can never say I want to be fourth, fifth or sixth, but I want to be... Our aim is to get in that region. Okay, Gunter. Well, thanks for your time and uh, have a good rest of the season. Thank you, Gary. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you must recognise the value of asking questions at Aramco. Answering questions helps them engineer a better future. So if you'd like to know how something works in F1, it would be great if you sent us a question, and we might well answer it in a future episode. You can either write us a question and email it to podcasts at theRace.com. that's podcasts at the-race.com, or record a voice note making sure to tell us who you are and your message that we can play on the show. And remember, there's no stupid questions. This is all about trying to bring the technology and the understanding of Formula One to you, the fans. So today's question comes from Daniel Gregory, and it's well-timed as it circles us back to our initial discussion about Mercedes. Daniel asks, Mercedes has in recent weeks indicated that they believe there was a single decision late last year that has contributed to the majority of their struggles this season. What's your best guess as to what this is? And is it possible to drastically change their car concept for next year and also retain their strong downforce package that they've shown to have in this latter part of the season so Gary a couple of parts to that question there I mean I guess the first bit is, is can there be something as simple as a single decision that sends you down a, a difficult path well Daniel thanks for the question um, we've covered quite a lot of that at the beginning of this, this podcast so I won't go into specific detail just again one thing I would you know, come back in again and saying that uh, I think one of the decisions that they made was that they could control the car uh, and generate a mechanical seal from the floor to the to the ground. That in anybody's book, that will make the, the diffuser and the underfloor work so so much better if you can do that. Now it's all a combination of a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, the tire stiffness comes into play. The car stiffness comes into play. The geometries of the suspension, the anti-dive, anti-squat, all that stuff comes into play to try to keep the cars consistently at a right height as you can get it. I've never been able to achieve that in my life. You know, you have to allow the car to to uh, do its own thing, to, to move around because of the difference in the forces. And that movement is what the driver feels. That's that's how he, how he feels the car loading up. Um, so if you're setting about trying to make the car so taut that basically it doesn't move and the floor stays relative to the ground very 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 stable then you're into hiding for nothing so that would be my thing that i think they thought they could get away with whereas the other teams that didn't get so excited about that you know as i say they made the front corner of the floor work harder so that the side of the floor from halfway down to the, to the front of the rear tire 
didn't have to try to mechanically seal as well and still get the same downforce or pretty close to the same downforce out of the uh, out of the, the underflow package. Um, so that would be one area I would say that they, they will work on next year, allowing the car to be uh, a bit a bit uh, a bit more movement, a bit more compliant, because as I say the driver gets his feedback from that that compliance. You don't want lots of movement, but the, you know if if you build a breeze block, if you're sitting in a, a solid piece of kit with solid suspension, solid tires on it, it gives you nothing. You want to know that when you lean on it harder, the car will roll a little bit more, or the car will change attitude that a little bit more. So it's very important to get the driver feedback because that's what the lap time comes from the driver. And uh, it's no point in saying, okay, look at that, we got 10% more downforce if we can just stop the car from moving because that'll never happen. And the second part of the question, do they drastically need to change the car concept? I I think they've, you know, they've, we use the word concept, as I said earlier, a bit loosely. Um, All we see is the visual, visual concept. The thing is, they've got themselves to a point now where I think they understand A, where they went wrong with the car. B, they understand how to put the best bandage on it possible for this season. Uh, and I think C, that will allow them to put the best bandage on it or the best change on it uh, for next season. So I think they're in a very strong position to have a very, very competitive car next year. And uh, I suppose they, they have the fight to want to have a very competitive car next year. So I think they'll be there. I don't, you know, whether they'll change the visual concept or what, whether they'll just make all the stuff that we don't see work slightly differently, who knows. Um, I would say they won't change the visual concept dramatically. I'd be surprised if they did. I'd, I'd be surprised if they roll up with a, a silver Red Bull as such, or a silver Bull, we might call it, or even a silver Ferrari, because I think they're, you know, they're determined to show that a, they didn't go wrong in that visual concept, uh, and B, they've shown it really in, in, uh, in uh, Brazil that you know they they were the best team there for sure. Yeah, and certainly a boost for them to finish the year in this way. Well, thanks to Daniel Gregory for your question. If anyone listening has a question to ask on any tech topic at all, make sure you get them over to podcasts at therace.com. That's podcast at the hyphen race.com. Well, as always, Gary, thanks very much for your insight. We've got one more race coming up before this incredible 2022 season comes to an end. And who knows, maybe the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix will produce one more technical sting in the tail for us to talk about. So join us next week for more from Gary. You've been listening to the Race F1 Tech Show brought to you by Aramco. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. The Athletic.